0: As we interact with the truths about our world through the lens of mathematics, it can lead us to do both those things. It can lead us to glorify God and enjoy Him forever.
1: Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews and today I'm delighted to bring you this conversation with Ruth Watson. Now Ruth brings a wealth of life experience to bear on her career as a Christian educator. And while she's teaching maths at a local school, she's also the curriculum advisor for mathematics for Northern Territory Christian schools. So in this discussion, we talk about worshipful practices that can be implemented and instilled within your classroom. So the practices Ruth speaks about have been applied to her context as a maths educator. Although listening back to our discussion, there are some really clear principles here which can be applied to classrooms of any kind. I was really impressed, actually, with the diligent effort Ruth had put in to show how the Lordship of Christ extended right over the area of mathematics and how maths itself can be done in a way that draws us up and into the worship of God. I think what Ruth has done with her maths curriculum is outstanding. But actually, I'm glad she's not an outlier. There are so many good Christian educators who have taken the time to draw out great worldview links and instill powerful, worshipful practices within their teaching. And if that's you, I'd love to have a discussion with you about how you approach your discipline. Just flick me an email. My address is in the show notes. As always, know that before we hit record, Ruth and I prayed for you that whatever your role in Christian education is, you would benefit and be edified by this conversation. And of course, if you do benefit from it, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it around. You can put it on your social media or you can just shoot an email to someone who you think would benefit from it. Well, Ruth Watson, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm really looking forward
1: to it. I'm really looking forward to it too, Ruth. Now, where I am down south in Tasmania, we're just about to embark on term two. From what I understand, you're a little bit further ahead than us up there in the Northern Territory. Is that right?
0: Yes, that's right. So we've been back for a week already. Um, We get an extra week in July when it's um, beautiful weather up here. That
1: makes a lot of sense. So you actually, your term one break is only one week.
0: That's right. That's right. We did take a week of long service leave as well. So we, we sneaked in an extra week this time.
1: Well played. Very well played. Now, this may be a controversial question, but tell me this. I often find it takes me a few days to unwind during the holidays you know, are you, able, are you able to unwind and then get back up to speed for work in a week? Do you find the one week break much of a holiday?
0: Um, a week is a challenge, yes. You're right. <laughs> it takes you a week to unwind. Um, this time we reset by um, going away for a week. So that completely
1: reset us, which is great. Beautiful. I'm glad to hear it. There's nothing like heading into a term, feeling ready to teach and ready to get stuck back into things. Now, h- how long have you been an educator for, Ruth?
0: Um, For about 12 years. um, I joined it as a mature age student. Um, Originally, I did accounting after after school, and then we worked overseas in Kazakhstan on the mission field for many, many years before we made our way to Darwin. That's when I started
1: teaching. Fantastic. So, you've been an educator for more than a decade, which actually, I don't know what percentile that puts you in, but you've actually stood the test of time. There's an eye-watering amount of educators that will leave in the first four or five years of their professional practice. One of the things I'm thinking about this year on the podcast is burnout and teacher retention, all those sorts of things. Tell us quickly: do you have any specific habits or practices? or routines that you try and do in the holidays that aid your longevity in the teaching profession?
0: Um, I do do a bit of work in the holidays. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you probably don't want to hear that, but if I find if that if I do that in the holidays, it sets me up to have a little bit less of a stressful term. Um, so I do do a bit of work. I also make sure um, I have some complete rest. I n- need that too. Um, that's why a week doesn't work very well a week a week to do think about next term and then a week to rest is good
1: absolutely there's nothing like feeling like you're hitting the ground running on the next term not like you're coming in and having to climb over a whole mountain of old work or overdue work before you've even started the thing so look i'm a big big believer in setting yourself up to start really well The Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. Now it's funny we're talking about habits and practices today because that's in many ways the topic of your article. So you've written an article for the upcoming May edition of the Christian Teachers Journal and you're talking about worshipful habits and practices in the maths classroom. Now, of course, it's an old trope among Christian educators that, of course, worldview connections and Christian threads, they can work really well, but only in specific areas, right? So they'll work really well in your English department, or if you can you can weave a couple through history, then that would be great. But many people say, well, it just doesn't work in maths. So my question to you, Ruth, is as a maths teacher yourself, why do you think maths is getting short-changed on the worldview front?
0: Um, I really don't know. I mean, it takes it takes a bit of extra thinking, I think. It's not initially obvious. Um, and when I first went into teaching at a Christian school, I used to be curious about how you did biblical perspective in maths. I wasn't sure about that. And so um, that led me to go and do my master's and to do a lot more thinking about it, which is where a lot of these ideas have come from. Um But, you know, at the bottom line, God is a God of order. When he created the world, he created order out of chaos. And um, in that order, there's a lot of mathematical patterns and routines and rhythms. Um, There's a lot of mathematical patterns in the designs that he did in his creation. Um, And, you know, they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. And so as you discover those and look at those through a mathematical lens, it leads you to worship God in an amazing, in a in a deeper way, and in a different way, and also um, just in terms of the stewarding for our world and caring in our community. Mathematics provides some pretty awesome tools to help us to do that well as well.
1: Well, it's really interesting that you talk about stewardship and about worship, because when you've written your article here, you've written about. Ten things we can do in the classroom. However, you've you've given us not ten bits of knowledge to transmit to our students, but you've given us ten truths that we can actually celebrate. All right. So that's the that's what you've done in your article. Ten things that we can celebrate when it comes to our repeated practices and um, and and our um, sort of classroom liturgies within the maths classroom. There's obviously been a big move in the Christian education space over the last 10 years or so, where there has been a resurgence in the understanding of the power of liturgy. So we have in some ways rediscovered a very ancient idea there that what we do is going to shape uh, how we behave, it's going to shape the sort of people we are, it's going to reorder what we love, all those sorts of things. So when you're giving maths educators sort of 10 bits of information here, why is it important that it makes uh, this information makes its way into their classroom as truths to celebrate, and not just simply pieces of knowledge to so understand?
0: Head knowledge still allows us to disconnect from what we're learning. Um, and you know, as a Christian, I believe that our life is that we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. <laughs> Might have got that from somewhere. Um, <laughs> And so as we interact with the truths about our world through the lens of mathematics, it can, do, it can lead us to do both those things. It can lead us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in the classroom, we actually need to model that to our students. Um, I think one of the problems with Christian education is that students don't easily join the dots between the God stuff and everyday subjects. Um, So we need to help students join the dots, but I think more than that, we actually need to model to students how to join those dots.
1: Well, that's a very vivid image, isn't it? Students not connecting the dots. And in many ways, some of the onus for that might actually land on us. In your article, you talk about the importance of teachers actively displaying those things which they want students to embody themselves. And it would be pretty rude of us, wouldn't it, to expect students to make these really higher-order theological connections between what they're learning in the maths classroom and their uh, glorification and enjoyment of God. It would be really tough for us to ask them to understand that well, of course, if we don't understand that well. You know, teaching, as many people have said over the years, teaching is overflow. You can't give to someone what you don't have yourself. And so if you're not making those really crisp, clear worldview connections yourself, it's going to be very, very difficult for your students to make them. Do you find with your in your maths teaching, you're just drumming in these repeated practices over and over and over and over again. And it's that repetition that's actually really making the difference.
0: Absolutely. Because you're also up against a traditional understanding of maths, and so you know, this year I've had to fight against my year sevens. They're they're just amazing that they want to come in and just do maths, do traditional maths, and they get um, they don't like it when I start talking about other things or we start doing other things. And so um, I know from experience that as you just put as you just make that part of what you do as they come to expect um, some bigger thinking about topics, as they come to expect um, reflection questions in their assignments, as they come to expect that they might actually have to talk to their family about some of the issues that we're talking about. Um, it slowly, slowly becomes normative for them. But it takes, it takes a quite a while to shift that traditional understanding of what maths should look like.
1: And the thing about it is that maths, as you've stated so often, is always informed by a particular view of the world. And that view, when it comes to maths, can be very insidious because it's often not brought out into the light. Right? So if we're not actively discussing a philosophy of maths or a theology of maths, it doesn't mean we don't have one. What it means is it's just going completely unchecked. So we we could really easily be smuggling in alien understandings of the world, alien worldviews, through our maths practice if we're not deliberately and it, sort of in front of the students for all to see discussing a theo- theology or philosophy of maths. So you actually said your students can find that difficult at times. They're going, "Oh, Mrs. Watson, what are we doing? This is..." Why are we opening the Bible? Why would we be talking about philosophy or theology in our maths classroom? Can't we get back to our times tables? Do you find that you're actually able to win them over over the course of a year or a a high school um, their time in high school, where they're actually then thinking it's pretty natural to talk about these big issues in maths by the by the time you're you've been able to educate them for a little while.
0: Um, absolutely, yes. Um, I'm just reflecting on a teacher that um, works at one of our six schools up here. He, was, he, he started doing some of these practices for the first time last year, never been done at his school, and he got that resistance at first. But by the end, like, he was so buzzing with the awesome excitement um, as a teacher that, um, that he could see um, in his students as they interacted with this stuff. For instance, um, and it's not all philosophy and big picture stuff. It's it's very practical. Most of what what most of what I try and do is just very everyday stuff, but you just restore it. Um, and so yeah, so I can give you some examples.
1: Ruth. I'd love you to give us some examples. You've spent a lot of time sort of codifying your practice. And of course, you've given us 10 examples in the Christian Teachers Journal article. The thing about it is we're going to be like a stone skimming across the water here. We're going to get to touch on a few. We're not going to be able to go into full depth. But I'm really interested to hear some of the practices that you've been implementing within your So
0: I'll just give you an example that I'm doing right at the moment because it's right in my mind and it draws on, it brings out some of these different practices. So um, a couple of my classes at the moment are doing geometry. And so when I first started thinking about geometry and how to do it from a biblical perspective, my starting place is always how does geometry help me personally worship God? And I guess that's when, you know, you start to think about the beautiful geometric pat- patterns you see in nature, symmetry, um, the tessellations, lots of beautiful, beautiful patterns. Um, and so that's, that's my starting place to bring it into the classroom. And so as a hook at the beginning of the unit, I have a, um, I, we look at a whole lot of different Patterns in nature and we just can stand in awe of them and, you know, think about this amazing God who's made these things. This this time I had a brand new element. It was quite amazing. So I hadn't done this. I planned to do it yesterday. And on Saturday I went for a walk along the beach at sunrise. It was high tide, which meant that we only had about three or four metres of beach to walk on. In low tide, we get, you know, a long, long beach, but in high tide, it's a very small beach. And as I was walking along, I stumbled across these baby turtles. There was a turtle's nest with all these little baby turtles being born and scurrying down to the water. It was the most beautifully amazing thing I have seen. And so I was able to not only show my standard, you know, the standard stuff I had already prepared. But I was able to show photos of these turtles in in the classroom because the the patterns on the back of a turtle are tessellated patterns that we're talking about in Year 8. They were a link-in with some of my Year 9 Indigenous students that I teach, you know, and um, that was a really link-in point with them. And then in Year 10, we're doing algebra and (laughs) these turtles have had good mileage, Year 10. We talked about how um, the the gods built these tides and um, sunrises, sunsets into um, our world. We we know when it's going to be high tide because it's a predictable pattern, and we can model that using mathematics. Um, But that's built into the turtles. They knew that it was high tide. They knew to come out right on high tide like that was amazing so I can still appreciate the baby turtles without mathematical knowledge but understanding and looking at it through a mathematical lens whether it's at geometry or whether it's with algebra and patterns and predictions and routines um, it just takes you into a deeper little understanding of it and it helps you to just stand in awe of this amazing god that we have Um, so just as you talk about talk about things in the classroom you might I might have um, shown those turtles down the road at a secular school and maybe not talked about God um, any teacher can do that but we have the privilege of restoring it restoring it <laughs> um, in a biblical lens and I think that's a privilege to acknowledge the maker and as you do that you're worshiping God you're showing students you're modeling to students um, and you're Helping students to just hone in on things in around in their world that they might not have noticed before, and hopefully attributing that to the maker. Um, so so that's that's a, that was a big one. <laughs> well,
1: that's amazing. I'm really impressed by that example, Ruth. And if particularly if you've got up at the start of the term or the start of the unit and talked about human beings being designed to worship God, if you see those turtles, if you were non-Christian. Uh, you, could, you could rightly still be impressed with the turtles. And I guess if you didn't know anything about maths, you could also be somewhat impressed. I'm glad God didn't have me walking by the beach and seeing those turtles and then expecting me to get some sort of payload out of that for my uh, business studies classes. But it's such a clear example of how you, being designed to worship God with your mathematical knowledge, are actually being drawn up into a greater species of worship, a a more rich experience of worship, because of your mathematical understanding. So if you're created as a worshipper, you're actually being even more human. You're becoming more truly human because you're able to worship with greater clarity and greater insight. And it's an example from your own practice, which kids have got to love. I think there's there's got to have such a bigger payoff than if you just pulled up images of tessellating patterns in nature from Google. Do you find did you find your students were actually really impressed with your example of the turtles on the beach?
0: Most of them. I had as as you said before. I had pushback from some of my Year Eights. Um, and they, did, they didn't believe me. They didn't believe they were my photos. They said I'd Googled them. <laughs> and they, they were not ready to interact on that level. So I guess part of um, discernment is to know when to, to let it go as well. Um, you know, a worshipful practice is to um, just love your students. That's, that's central to any subject. And to, and to have wisdom to know when to, when to pull back and when, when not to.
1: So. And that's the thing about repeated practices as well. There's going to be more than one bite at this cherry. And it takes students a little while for them to get used to these sorts of things. You know, if their schema of maths has been formed over the last seven years of doing maths without any reference to anything transcendent or without any explicit worldview connections, then yeah, it might take them a little while. But that's the thing about repeated practice is you're not relying on one big, rich experience to change everything. You're actually just step by step, brick by brick, you're building, you're building up those students. So that's a really rich example of you showing how you can worship with great clarity uh, with your mathematical understanding. What else have you been uh, doing with your students? What other worshipful practices have you been implementing in your classroom? Um,
0: so something else, something little, because mathematics teachers don't like things that take them away from content, a content-heavy curriculum. And a lot of what we can do are just little things and they're just restoring stuff. One of the one really powerful thing I don't think we use enough is just posters in the classroom. And now that we can you can get posters, you can design posters very easily and get them printed out very cheaply, to to make a poster with a central key idea of what your hope is for them in the term. So at the moment, as said, geometry. I'm I'm really praying that my students can um, notice the beautiful geometric patterns in nature and can worship gone through that. So I'm planning to make a poster, just um, just very something short, catchy on the poster with some beautiful pictures on it, and put it up in the classroom because students spend you know this when there's nothing else to do they will sit there and stare at the classroom walls and those messages that they're going to get over and over and over again from that one poster that's hanging up there above the whiteboard is going to um is going to go deep and you know it's going to permeate deep into um their understanding they might not actually understand understand it um a lot but I think I'm a really big fan of um, just the old poster and changing that um, each term with a new one, something that really matches exactly what you're explicitly wanting the students to know in the term.
1: I know you're familiar with the work of Dr. David Smith. You quote him in your article and one of the moments of real clarity that he had is he said, when you're an educator, really all you have access to I mean, we've got our our resources, we've got our um, school online management software and all this sort of stuff. But when you boil it all down, all you've actually got is space and time. That's all you've got. You've got space and time. And when you're talking about worshipful practices, that's utilizing time. It's a liturgy, a repeated practice or habit. And now you're talking about space, utilizing your physical space with this well-designed poster to be somewhat of a space a a sort of theological teacher's aid so as they're as they're in your classroom they're getting soaked and saturated in this sort of thing I think that's a really good idea and it's a high value proposition because you make your poster and you put it up there and you have it for your term or your unit and next year when you have your students you put it up there again I think I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea and there's yeah there's never been an easier time to get stuff like that made there are so many tools that uh, people can use. Now, I've got a question for you, Ruth. A couple of times now, you have um, piqued our interest by talking about restoring things. Okay, that's a term you've used a whole bunch of times. There are going to be a fair few people who are double clicking on that and just getting a big blank. They're not quite sure what that means. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it might mean to restory something?
0: Um, so I'll give you another example. It's the, the easiest way to do that. Um, so in year, year 9, 10, um, we have a lot of uh, students have to learn about some financial maths. Um, year 9, 10, they're doing simple and compound interest. If you just look at textbook questions, um, the, the, there's a world view that we don't often think about that comes out of the questions and that is, you know, you're saving up to have a holiday. You're saving up um, so you can buy something, a car. You're, there, there's a lot of materialistic understanding of why you need to manage your money well. Um, and so as a Christian, um, I want to think about, okay, why do we want to manage our money well um, and where does that come from? So that that's an easy thing for a Christian educator. You're thinking about stewarding well. But then as I thought about it, and this came up um, a year ago when um, we had a lot of trouble getting produce up here <laughs> when it was we had flooding and they couldn't get produce up here. And it just led me to think about this amazing, generous God we have. And um, um, so that, that led me to create a unit around finan- financial maths with the slogan, um, Financial Maths Being Generous with God's Provision. Because God is a generous God. Um, We want to be generous with what he provides. We want to steward it well, but we also want to be generous. And so so the examples then that we look at um, in financial maths, I get students to go home and I like to, apart from just giving them pages of skills and (laughs) things to practice at home, I like to also have them um, learn about how to interact with their families more so I set a question for them to actually ask their parents, how do we save money? How do you save money, mum money, and dad? Um, how do we manage? So that you're forcing students into their family community to learn from their families. Um, and then also I share how God has provided for me, little stories here and there um, just from my own background of how God's provided. Um and then I, another homework question I set is for students to go and ask their parents, have they ever had something really unexpected, an unexpected financial um, gift from God, but I put the from God in brackets because they're not all Christians so they can leave that bit out. Um, and so they can come back and um, share these, these times where their families have benefited from um, a provision from God. And then when we do credit cards, um, I actually ask the question, we do an assignment where they just come up with a credit card statement and have to analyze that. Um, I actually have a reflection question in the assignment at the end that says, um, what do you think God thinks of credit cards? (laughs) You know, So they can be a Christian or not to answer that question. I'm not telling them they have to believe anything, but I'm just getting them to think about it. Um, And again, at... Another school that um, I'm responsible to, you know, that I'm part of, as part of our network, they told me that one of their year 10s had randomly been going up to every teacher in the playground at recess and asking their, te- asking every teacher, <laughs> what do you think God thinks of credit cards? <laughs> oh,
1: that's great. You know,
0: so it's just like a question that can spark their interest um, and can, you know, just explore a little bit further um, how to be a good steward um, so a topic they have to do anyway but not just accepting the blindly accepting the examples that they have in their book
1: I, I love that example restoring. so as you said most textbooks are going to come with the assumption that the student is an economic consumer and you're actually first of all Exposing that story to the children, saying, "Hang on, this is not neutral. There is a story there that is telling you about a particular view of the world and a particular view of you know human anthropology, who you are, and then you're telling a different, an even better story that we are uh, stewarders we're rich recipients of God's grace, and we're stewards of stewards of His resources." Now, I'll tell you what, your example with the poster is a classic example of re-storying as well, because what do you often see around maths classrooms? Well there's such a huge push towards vocational training these days that you'll often see what careers can I get with maths? And, you know, you have pilot or engineer or all, all this sort of stuff. And you have people in lab coats or people in all sorts of vocational clothing. And there's this huge push towards get out there in the workforce, you know. And this will be useful for you when you're in the workforce. But what you're doing with your poster which is talking about recognising um, and, and worshipping God through the geometrical patterns, you're saying, well, this mathematics is not just for your career, whenever that happens. It's actually for right now. Your maths is for right now. It's for worshipping God. It's for doing the thing you were created to do right now. So I love that example, Ruth. Perhaps let's touch on one more worshipful practice that you implement in your classroom.
0: Um, I think mathematics is a, is beautiful. Um, there, there are beautiful patterns within the structure of numbers themselves. And sometimes, you know, just talking about that, but more than that, it can actually lead you to create some beautiful things. And so I love helping students to create beautiful work and not just work that they're going to throw away at the end of the year but work that actually can enrich our lives right now. Um, And there's uh, geometry actually is, is, uh, that's why it's fresh in my mind, that's what we're doing, but geometry is a really good topic to be creating beautiful artwork through different things we're studying. Um, So, for instance, Pythagoras, (laughs) year year eight, year nine, um, it's something we study. We we create Pythagoras triangles that make a spiral and then the students then create an artwork out of that um, and we hang it up. So they do all their mathematical investigation while we're doing that, but they also have this beautiful piece of artwork and I show them last year's artwork and we celebrate the gifts that God's given people from last year and then we hang up their artwork in the classroom and I can tell you when I have done that I have students that go and look at those pieces of art that each other's done the whole way through the year they're a draw card Um, and every year because they look and see what they created last year every year they get better and better and better Um, because you know they they have something to model what they work on so you know made in God's image where we can make beautiful things too and so, um, and so they can make things that can bless our spaces right now and then maybe into the future too. So year seven, they think about um, all the geometric angles and shapes in a power pylon, which are very ugly things, but then they have to design one that's beautiful, <laughs> um, either through, um, through the design itself or the shape or, you know, let's, let them do that and you know they, they're part of our future to think about how we can redesign things in our world in more beautiful ways so so the focus is very much on now how they can make beautiful things now but also how we can make beautiful things in the future and that's using our gifts and talents to enrich our spaces we're worshiping God um, through the talents he's given us uh, made in his image and again it's telling that story in the classroom of why we're doing it that's
1: important. one of the things i so appreciate about the way you craft your learning ruth for your students is that you really do embrace an interdisciplinary approach to learning it's an example i've used on the podcast before but many conceive of learning or knowledge like a whole chest of drawers right you've got you open the maths drawer you do a bit of maths you close it again you open the english drawer and you close it again but a better metaphor for knowledge is not a chest of drawers, it's actually a web, like a spider's web, where everything is connected. And if I'm if I'm pulling on this maths part over here, well it will actually reverberate down into art, down into history, down into English, down into science, down into all these different places. So you are not only able to integrate worshipful practices and talk about philosophy and theology in your classroom, but you're also able to embrace other disciplines of study and of expression. Tell me, how do you find the students responding when you're actually calling them to make art in maths? Is that a bit of a paradigm shift for them too?
0: Sometimes, but again, it's telling them the story of why, you know, so that's what we keep, we keep telling them the story of why we're doing that. I want them to create beautiful things that are gonna enrich our lives. one I think it's important to go with what your gifts are. So one of our maths teachers is also very musical. So he does a lot with music and maths in the classroom because that's very natural for him. Um and actually another teacher took the power pylon posters that they make and instead of making posters, he got them to actually make make them, <laughs> you know, so that that's a very hands on, you know, woodworky type thing to do. Um and so I think as again, it's the way you story it to students and the way you tell them. Um, yeah, in history, we we study Pythagoras is a very good example of someone that's really good to study um, from um, in math because he had a worldview that worshipped numbers, and so it's a it's very um, it's a really good example to get kids to think about that in contrast to the Christian worldview. So, you know, so you're right, history comes into it. There's a lot, everything's intertwined. Maths is just one lens, but they're all intertwined with each other.
1: So a lot of people are going to be listening to this discussion, Ruth, and then you're going to go, well, Ruth is a very impressive educator. I'm not quite sure I'm up to the task. So they might have been teaching out of the same maths textbook for a little while. They may have got their lessons pretty well dialed down and they're thinking, I can't afford to make a wholesale change. I probably don't have the mental space to reframe everything I'm doing. But as they say, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, doesn't it? What would you encourage? If you had one daunted maths teacher in front of you, where would you encourage them to start?
0: Start with one topic that you're just about to do with one class and pray and think about how does that topic help you personally worship God? And that that takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of thought. um, And Sometimes even a bit of reading, but that's the starting point. How does it help me either worship God, or how does it help me steward His creation, or how does it help me serve in my community? So they're the three questions that um, um, are very helpful to ask because somewhere one of the somewhere that topic will fit. It'll either fit in helping you worship God. It will help fit in helping you steward the. Um, the world or it will fit with serving in your community and that's that's the place to start so sometimes you're worshiping God through these beautiful things but sometimes um, we haven't even touched on statistics and um, percentages and all those things but they help us understand the world and we can use that as a um, springboard to look at an issue so we can build our whole assignment around an issue or our whole, that that matches with that particular topic.
1: Well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about here, Ruth. Look, I personally, I can't commend your Christian Teachers Journal article highly enough. I really look forward to sending it around the maths department here at Calvin Christian School, and I'm sure it will be a great blessing to everyone else. Look, Ruth, if people want to understand uh, more about what you've got to say and hear more from you, where should they be going?
0: So I have put some things up on um, a website called Connect. Um, it's part of what um, CEN have put together as a central place where teachers can share ideas and come together. So I've so some of these things um, and the ten worshipful practices actually I've made into a little little A five booklet, um, and I've put that up there in the past as well. So you can. And then there's a whole lot of curriculum outlines, which we haven't even talked about today, but um, very intentional curricu- student curriculum out- outlines that show students where we're going with your learning and um, set helps them to set some goals around their formational learning. Some of those are there too.
1: Beautiful. So I'll make sure I include a link in our show notes to the Connect website, and that's where you can go to hear more from Ruth. Look, Ruth, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real treat to talk with you. I know I've certainly learnt a whole bunch, and I wish you all the best as you head into the rest of the term and the rest of the year. Thank you, it's been a privilege.